Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. It's great to be here with you all this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mitch, and I am one of the pastors here. And if you have forgotten what we are, what series we're in, we're in the book of Jeremiah. Now, last week Murray he smashed a pot for us. This week we also have some synax. I'm just going to walk back here, as the as the title suggests, the yoke. And so. Jeremiah did lots of synax, and this one, this is what he was called to do. He was called to wear this yoke. And if we just have the Bible reading up, there we go. So before we read chapter 20, so I'm going to wear this the whole time out. We'll see how we go, just wearing this, like Jeremiah, wearing this yoke. And in chapter 27, Jeremiah is called to put on this yoke and to prophesy to three different groups. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he prophesied firstly to the nations, to these group of kings that had come along, and that's what the scripture is going to read. They'd come to plot against Babylon. They said, hey, we don't want to be under the yoke of Babylon. We don't want Babylon to rule over us. We're going to plot a mutiny. And then the second group is the king Zedekiah in Jerusalem. Warns him too. And then lastly, he talks to the priests. Essentially the same message. And in the Bible, when something's repeated three times, it means it's really, really important. So, let's get into this. Let's pretend I'm Jeremiah. And here you are, you are a group of kings. Foreign dignities that have come to Jerusalem here in the year 593 B.C. And there this crazy man rocks up with this yoke and starts prophesying. And these are the words that he says. So let's begin here. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre and Sidon through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. And I give it to anyone I please. Now I'll give all your countries in the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I'll make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son. And his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subject him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with the sword, famine, and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, your sorcerers who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesize lies to you that will only serve to remove you from your lands. I will banish you, you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land 
until you live there, declares the Lord. I'll take that off now. And that's what Jeremiah did. It's a message that's countercultural. Countercultural completely because those foreign empires, they were expecting that, well, being under Babylon isn't ideal for us. Isn't ideal at all. King Zedekiah there is thinking that this is not an ideal situation. That idea of a yoke, it's not, it's not their idea of fun. It's not what they want. But Jeremiah is saying this is God's will. God's will completely and utterly. And if we just go back a little bit, we'll go from verse, verse 5. Verse 5 that passage. We're reminded God is the God of creation. God is the one who created everything. And if God is the God of creation who can do everything, he can choose who he wills and who he doesn't want to will to be in control, to be in power. Now, here's a simple question for us all. What was the point of being under the oak? Why was Jeremiah wearing this? What was he trying to do? Don't be shy. What was he trying to do for the people and the nations? Warning. So what? They may live in the land. Okay? The symbol of the yoke represented life. May not seem that way. May not seem that this oppressive empire that's taken over the world that's swallowed up, and you, you see all those nations, there's like, you know, six or seven of them there meeting together. This actually equals life. I think this is a really important symbol for all of us to remember. Perhaps this yoke God calls us to live under actually equals life. God's, I've been reading this book which describes God's word as standing on holy ground. I think that's a beautiful image. That when God's words are spoken, it's like, we're like Moses at the burning bush standing on holy ground there. And God's word, it may seem like a yoke. It may seem oppressive. His call on our life may seem really harsh. But ultimately, it equals life. That's really important. Jeremiah seemed like a message, a prophet, a prophet of doom. Like, you just read his prophecies. It's not exactly uplifting. Like, if you were going to lead someone through the Bible for the first time, you wouldn't go, let's turn to Jeremiah 27. What a great, encouraging read this will be. You kind of feel a bit, uh, a bit miserable. He just says the same thing over and over. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be destruction. But the point of it all so that you may have life. Please calling. Um, we're not going to do it this morning. This is a shameless plug for banter, if you want to listen in. God's use of evil empires. Just we don't have time to unpack that. But, but, what, um, but, but the point of all this is that even though Babylon is this wicked, evil empire who's used violence already, so the year 593 BC, when it was about... Now, four or five years since the first exile, God's already used violence to try to teach Jerusalem a lesson. What he's trying to show here is that I don't want to use violence. I don't want to destroy you. 
God doesn't, even these wicked pagan nations, I don't want you to be destroyed. I want you to have life. That's what God's all about, is that we have life. Have life in fullness to Him. I remember vividly as a child, um, leaving, I probably would have been a kindy, year one, leaving the, the like, school and running across the road in front of a car. I remember my mum absolutely roared into me. I don't think I cried so hard. So this real vivid memory of running in front of this car, the car slamming its brakes so it didn't hit me, and mum just ripping into me, not really understanding why she was so angry and why she was so upset, until I had kids of my own. And before we moved out to Dural, um, the, the house we lived in in Chester Hill was on a pretty major road. And to stop the kids escaping, we had a back gate. And one day, I forgot to, put, to close the back gate properly. And I remember I was at the, the sink washing up, and I look out and see the gate open. And I was like, hey, Rach, where are the kids? Asher was inside doing what Asher does, jumping and watching TV. Hazel, nowhere to be found. There's this pit of, like, just that sinking feeling you get as a parent. I ran outside, and there's Hazel down, probably about 100 metres down the road at the bus stop. And just this fear, but just this relief. And yeah, I understood that moment, why my mum got so angry with me at that moment as a six-year-old for running in front of the car on the road. It's to avoid catastrophe. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here. So we can see this, this yoke uh, as a symbol of oppression, a symbol of, oh, I'm not having the life that I want. But when you think about what Jeremiah is trying to do, the message he's giving, he wants Jerusalem to be saved. There's this, there's this complexity in prophecy is that, so let's take the prophet Jonah, he tells Nineveh, hey, 40 days Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And what happens? The Ninevites repent and they're not destroyed. The, in, in this strange way, in this mystery of God, the prophets, the future is not completely determined. I don't know how it works. We know God knows all things, but when Jeremiah gives a prophecy, there's this hope that perhaps these guys will submit. Perhaps they'll recognize this yoke as not a yoke of destruction, of oppression, but life. And friends, is this yoke a yoke of life for you? Now we're going to jump part into the next part of the chapter. And this is where, I guess, the, the mystery of God and His will cannot seem apparent. So we get to chapter 28. And so Jeremiah's done his prophecy, and there he is. He's wearing his yoke. He's prophesied to foreign kings, to King Zedekiah, to the priests. And now he, he's, he's still there. We're assuming he's wearing his yoke still. And we're told here, in the fifth month of the same year, the fourth year, Early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Uzul, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and the people, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here, and took to Babylon. I'll also bring back to this palace Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So he was the king that was taken into exile with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. 
Then we'll just skip a few verses ahead to, to verse 10. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke of the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. Now, when you think of a false prophet, what image comes to mind? Pardon? Sin. Yeah. In Jeremiah, we've encountered all, like Jeremiah talks about these false prophets. Don't listen to these false prophets. Here's an encounter with one. Now, here's the complexity. This ties in with this whole idea of a yoke. Let's look at this little chart up there. Okay, this prophetic showdown. Jeremiah and I, they both had public ministries in the temple. Both of them claimed to be prophesying in the name of Yahweh. Interesting love. Both of them use theology. Now, Jeremiah uses Deuteronomy, the, the cursed parts of Deuteronomy. Prophet Hosea and Micah. Hananiah also uses scripture. He uses some of the, the, the blessing parts of Deuteronomy. He uses the Psalms, which talk about David sitting on the throne in Jerusalem forever. He riffs off Leviticus about the breaking of the yoke of the Egyptians. Both men are using Scripture to support their prophecies. Oh, and of course, we've got lastly, Jeremiah, he was wearing the yoke. And what does Hananiah do? He takes that yoke off and breaks it. Now, you here in the crowd, you're, let's pretend you're in that, that crowd witnessing this prophetic showdown. Who is right? Great question. How are we supposed to know? How are you supposed to know what is the will of Yahweh? Is it the yoke or is it the broken yoke? Now that's tough. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, there was Moses told the people, hey, if a prophet prophesies in the name of Yahweh and the prophecy doesn't come true, well, then you know he wasn't a true prophet. Now that's great. But at the here and now, if you were in the crowd at that moment, how do you know? How would you know who is right, who isn't right? Now, we're going to play a little game right now. Uh, we can flick on the next slide. Who is the true prophet? And we're going to read a couple of scriptures here. And I want you to be able to see, I want you to tell me, who do you think is the, the right speaker? So let's look at the first speaker here. Thanks, Matt. Speaker A, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He provides rain for the earth. He sends water on the countryside. The lowly he sets on high, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He thwarts the plans of the crafty, so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the day at noon. They grope as in the night. He saves the needy from the sword in their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts its mouth. All right. Isn't that a great scripture? It's a great reading. Eh? Well, let's see what the next one says. Speaker B. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. 
They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Friends, who is the right speaker? Who is the right prophet? Is it speaker A or speaker B? Who do you think? Paul, speaker A. Who do you think is the true prophet? Speaker A? Come on, don't be shy. Oh, no one wants to put their hand to it. Speaker A. Oh, there we go. We got one. Who thinks speaker B is the true prophet? Oh, very good. All right, let's see. Yep. Skip over. Oh, we forgot that. Yep. It is true. Speaker B. Speaker B is David. Speaker A is Eliphaz from Job. And the point of that simple exercise is you can see Eliphaz was speaking truth. There wasn't lies to that per se, but it was theology used in the wrong context. Now, friends, this is really, really important when we come to reflecting on what Jeremiah has done. Because from Hananiah's point of view, it's the broken yoke that seems like Yahweh's will. But Jeremiah will tell you, no, 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 no. Yahweh's will is this. It is to be under the yoke. And again, another shameless plug for banter. We're going to actually uh, look at like some Christian prophets and how, particularly around the Trump um, 2020 election and how they weren't true and how Christians responded to that. So there's another plug for banter. A couple of little things we're going to unpack deeper. But friends, as Christians, we listen to a number of voices, don't we? We engage in scripture. We're probably engaging in YouTube, on podcasts. We're engaging with our friends and people will tell us different things. Perhaps it really seems like God's will most of the time is the broken yoke. Now, from an Israelite point of view, there's a lot of truth to that. Because God did break the yoke of the Egyptians. He freed the Israelites. But perhaps there are times where actually sitting under the yoke is the will of God. And so how do we know this? How do we know? How do we know unless we see years later that someone who's given a prophecy over us and it hasn't come true, then we can know. But at the time, how do we know God's will? That's a million-dollar question. I wish I could give you answers to that, but I can give you just a little pointer. Not all theology is a square peg that goes into another square peg. Perhaps the theology you hold, it's a square peg that you're trying to shove into a round hole. Perhaps there are times where the yoke needs to be submitted to. Perhaps there are times when the yoke is smashed. But I think the important thing to reflect upon is, is the person I'm listening to, is the video I'm watching on YouTube, is the, the decision that I'm making, does it point me closer to Jesus? That's the biggest thing. And, and a number of commentators I read throughout this week, they all came to the same conclusion as that, well, it would have been really hard for the crowd to know who was the right speaker. But there's this one difference. Jeremiah points people to repentance. He points people into a deeper relationship with God, even though it is immensely difficult. Let's face it, friends. If, if you 
were sitting in that crowd that day watching this prophetic showdown between Hananiah and Jeremiah. He probably knew someone that was in Babylon right now. He probably had known a Daniel, a Shadrach, a Meshach, a Bendigo, and Ezekiel. Someone from your family had been ripped apart and was in Babylon. And you probably desperately, desperately wanted to see them. Imagine hearing that news. Hey, it's only going to be two years. Two years and the king will be back and all the articles from the temple will be back. Your family and friends will be reunited. There's something deeply comforting about that. But what Jeremiah does is he points people to the more difficult path, but it shapes us into Christ's likeness. That's my one and only tip for you, friends. If you are just trying to discern what is God's will, whether it's to submit to the yoke or where it is a broken yoke, does this decision, does this teaching, does this person point me into a deeper relationship with Jesus? And if you can honestly answer saying, yeah, this will push me into a deeper relationship with Jesus. This will make my relationship with God closer. Then perhaps that is from God's will. My friends, God is a mystery. His will is unknown. Why he used the Babylonians, I don't know. Maybe we can ask him that one day. But I do know this, when it comes to yokes, Jesus is the one who tells us that if we jump into his yoke, no matter how oppressive, how challenging our life is, what's he say in Matthew 11? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And ultimately, like Jeremiah was trying to do, submitting to that yoke of Babylon, it was about life. That's what Jesus come to do. He's come to give us a yoke, not of oppression, not of hardship, but of ease. Because as if you know how yokes are, normally you'd have two people in this. Jesus is on this side, and we're on the other. And he is the one bearing that yoke for us. I'm going to invite the band back up now. And I'm just going to spend some time just praying together. And if you feel like you need a decision in your life, I invite you to Go down and see the prayer team after service. I'll come to one of the three pastors here. We'd be happy to pray with you, to pray for wisdom, to pray for what is God's decision in my life. Is it to submit to that yoke or is it for that yoke to be broken? Because friends, we want ultimately all of us to live under God's will so that we may have life. Now let's pray now. Hey Lord, we give you thanks. Uh, hey, Jeremiah is 27 and 28. And just, hey Lord, it's a message that we probably need to hear, Lord. Is that in submitting to you, there is life. Then submitting to your will, even if it is, seems crazy, but Lord, that we find life in there. Lord, I pray that we can have the discernment and the ears to be listening to you and what you want for us. Lord, I just give you thanks too that with Jesus, that we're not left alone that the yoke is easy and the burden is light because Jesus is there carrying it along with us. So today, Lord, I pray there's anyone in this fellowship right now, Lord, who needs to be listening to you, who needs just discernment for what you're calling on them. I pray, Lord, you make that clear and give them the boldness to come and seek prayer. And Lord, we ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.
thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.